see so many warm and welcoming faces here this evening. Um, we've been away for the last two weeks, as you know, and it's fantastic to be back worshipping with our, our home church family. Encouraging. Please take a seat, everyone. We're going to have our second commandment now. We're going to turn to Mike and commandment number 10. Good evening. Hello. Hi there. Uh, don't forget to have the Ten Commandments open in front of you, Exodus chapter 20, in case you forgot where we were. <clears throat> I'm Mike Croft, if we've not met. It's lovely to uh, be here with you this evening. I'm one of the occasional preachers here in the church, or as Matt would, would call us, one of the occasional hypocrites who stand up the front here. That's challenging, isn't it? That whole idea of hypocrisy when you speak. Um, very provocative. Thanks for saying those words to remind us. Please pray for our preaching team. Um, you've seen a whole bunch of us preach over this five weeks. Um, when you go away from preaching, it, there's a bit of a downer while you think about what you told everyone else to do that you weren't doing. Um, today I'm here to conclude the series on Ten Commandments given by God to Moses at Mount Sinai. Uh, thanks for the reading tonight. Have you found the series useful? I have. And we'd like your feedback, particularly on the format of having two short sermons rather than one a lot longer. I found preparing for a short one much harder than a, short, a longer one. Funny, that. What to cut out, that's the challenge, isn't it? Can you name the ten largest companies in the world? And if you can, what are they? Amazon. Amazon's one, yeah. Google. Al or Alphabet. Tencent. Hmm? Tencent. No. Apple. Microsoft. Google. Already said. Apple. Walmart. Yeah, ExxonMobil. Facebook. No. And funnily, Toyota, Volkswagen. Yeah, they're in, they're in the top ten. Oh, in this list. I'm sure there's another list with another top ten. Um, that's a funny thing, lists on the interweb, isn't it? And all of those companies want to get bigger. The world's actually captured by companies like this, both private and state-owned. Three of the top 20 are Chinese who all want to keep growing. This endless quest to be bigger and to own more is driven by a spirit of greed and covetousness. And this is very well summarised by the Gordon Gecko character in the movie Wall Street. Look at this clip. The new law of evolution in corporate America seems to be survival of the unfittest. Well, in my book, you either do it right or you get eliminated. In the last seven deals that I've been involved with, there were 2.5 million stockholders who have made a pre-tax profit of $12 billion. Thank you. I am not a destroyer of companies. I am a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed 
for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. You can see it's quite an old clip, and um, the evidence is out there, isn't it, that greed is definitely saving America. <laughs> what cynics you are. <laughs> greed isn't really good, is it? It does make possible the getting a lots of riches, getting lots of assets, owning lots of property. Is that a good thing? The Bible says it's not. The Bible says... Greed is bad. In fact, the Tenth Commandment, which we're focusing on today, says that it is a sin. Let's pray as we have a look at Exodus chapter 20. Lord, please be with us as we all consider what your word, the Bible, has to say today. May your Holy Spirit open your word to us so that we can be transformed into your likeness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a look again at Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's. Now, we don't have a problem with any of that because nobody around here owns his oxes or donkeys. Now, it's not that simple, is it? You shall not covet. Unlike Matt's passage, I'm not going to reflect on the second bit. I'm just going to reflect on the first bit. You shall not covet. Covet's not a very commonly used word. In the dictionary it says it means to yearn to possess something, especially something belonging to another. Did you know covetousness is the original sin? Look at Genesis Chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She saw it was good for food. It was to be desired. She took its fruit and she ate it. Even though she was forbidden by God to do so, she yearned to have it so much that she overcame her fear of God's judgment and took that which she coveted. Eve yearned to possess the fruit so much that she completely ignored God and as a result was thrown out of the garden. This is, of course, the very first sin, an act of covetousness which is in many ways the cause of all the subsequent sins. In Exodus... Chapters 13 to 19, the Bible records the people of Israel walking 700 kilometres through the desert from Egypt to Mount Sinai. We can work out that's quite a big task to get this crowd of at least 30,000 women, children, 
men and all their cattle, sheep, goats, donkeys and oxen to walk about 14 kilometres each day of that 47-day journey. Finally, after 47 days, they camp at the foot of Mount Sinai. Then from 19 verse 3, we find Moses being recorded going up and down Mount Sinai to deliver God's messages. And while he's going up and down delivering the messages, look at chapter 20 verse 18 and you'll see what else was going on. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear as Moses went up and down. And then Moses said to them, Sorry, I misread that. And then they said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God's come in this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. Thunder, lightning, ram's horn, mystery, fear, that'll keep them from sinning. No, doesn't, does it? The Ten Commandments summarise God's expectations and there are a list of do's and don'ts. The first four are about loving God and the second six are about loving your neighbour. This tenth commandment concludes the list by instructing us not to covet anything. This tenth commandment's like the first because it talks about our motives, our attitudes, where the others talk about our actions. The first commandment says you must not have any other God but me. God claims first place in our hearts. God claims first place in our heads. God claims first place in what we do. God is meant to be our obsession, our one desire. Our motive must be to honour God above all else and coveting means you yearn to possess something that we should not. Yearning for something in this way pushes God out of our heads and our hearts and we get busy trying to have what we should not. When we covet, we fill up our thinking with a desire for something that is not God. We create an idol that replaces him in our lives. When we covet, our hearts become obsessed with getting hold of something that we do not deserve and should not have. When we covet, we do things we should not do. Coveting causes us to envy others for what they have and to do whatever we can to get what we think we deserve. We become like little children, wanting what we don't have or can't have, and we cry out, it's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. Why can't I have a toy like his? I want his toy. It's not fair. Why can't I have a job like theirs? I want his job. It's not fair. Their life looks so easy and mine is so hard. I want their life. Oh, it's not fair. Why can't I have a nice house like theirs? I want a house like hers. So to buy what we cannot afford, we lie about our finances to get a loan. Or we work multiple jobs at the expense of our relationships. It's just not fair. Now, there's actually nothing wrong with noticing what others have and then giving thanks to God for his blessings upon them. 
tickle. Excuse me. I'm good. That'll create other problems. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with noticing what others have and thinking, then giving thanks to God for his blessings to them. But when thinking about having what others have becomes an obsession, it's dangerous, covetous and idolatrous. It's faithless and foolish. It's a serious breach of faith in God. To covet is to sin against God. In Ephesians 5, Paul contrasts the life of the children of God with the life of those who covet, and he puts them in the camp of the immoral. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named amongst you as is proper among saints. Sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness. Zit. Covetousness is desire gone bad. However, desire is okay. We can see in the Bible, Hannah and Sarah, that the desire for children is a good desire. In the Song of Solomon, the desire for sexual, sexual intimacy is a good desire. Proverbs encourages us to plan and to work hard to improve our lot. So desiring domestic or financial improvement is not automatically bad. And best of all, we can see in Psalms that it is good to desire more of God and more of his spirit. Now, I could go on about all the things that we might covet and all the ways that coveting is sinful, but I want to focus on its antidotes. You will recall that the children of Israel promise at Mount Sinai that they will obey these Ten Commandments. But how? How will they control the urge to covet? Will the fear of God be enough? It wasn't for Adam and Eve. It wasn't for Achan in Joshua 7, or David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel, or Naboth and Ahab in 2 Kings. These passages all show the dreadful results of someone becoming obsessed with possessing something or someone that they had no right to have, something they had not worked for. They show the horrible effect of breaking the Tenth Commandment. So what hope is there? Is there an antidote to coveting? How do I work in today's world where greed is good? The antidote's found in God. If I'm to become obsessed with anything, then I need to be obsessed with my relationship with God. I'm to be greedy for him and for him alone. I'm to covet his favour. This leads to contentment plus. It's all about the head, the heart and the hands. Knowing God, who God is and what his commandments are, is just the beginning this knowledge should inform my heart so that God is loved beyond all else, with the result that my hands are turned to work in such a way that God is honoured and obeyed. 
You can see here in Chronicles that God searches all hearts and understands all that we plan to do. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. If you seek him, he will be found by you. So in the Old Testament, Solomon is to seek for God, seek to know him with his whole heart and a willing mind, and as a result he will obey him. His head, his heart, and then his hands all engaged in serving the living God. And presumably others at that time could do the same. They could seek him and find him. We can see that this continues to be true after the resurrection of Jesus, as Paul says to the people in Acts 17. And he made one man from every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? That they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. That they should seek God, that they might feel their way towards him and find him. And God is to be found. He's to be found in Jesus. If we would only look, let me paraphrase Acts 22. Acts 2, verse 21 to 24. In the Gospels, we see Jesus of Nazareth, a man authenticated to us by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. This Jesus was crucified and killed, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And once we have this salvation, this is the antidote to covetousness because Jesus promises an abundant life. Look at John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus promises an abundant life. Not only that, in John 4.13, talking to the Samaritan woman, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks of this water from the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Abundant life, eternal life. And somehow, in this abundant life, in the midst of trials and troubles, he will be there to see us through, as Paul says in Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Because Jesus promises to send us help in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows him nor sees him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit of truth, the great comforter. And Jesus promises us rest. Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All of these are antidotes to covetousness. So, when the spirit of greed and covetousness covetousness begins to tempt. Turn to Jesus because the opposite of coveting with its inward self-centred focus is a spirit of generosity, of giving, of wanting the best for another. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus as our advocate and comforter. As it says in Hebrews, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I will never leave you or forsake you. What a promise. Beats coveting, hands down. Remember, do not covet. Instead, call upon the name of Jesus so that you can be saved. In his great name, Amen.